As we come to the scripture, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is with grateful hearts that we come to your word now, for you have revealed yourself to us in it. And as we read it and meditate on it and think about it this morning, I pray that as Psalm 119, 16 says, that we would delight in it and not forget it. I pray that your word would feed us spiritually in such a way that we would be satisfied as if eating rich food. So bring light and understanding and truth to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is from Psalm 145, as you might remember. Uh, If you've been with us this summer, we've been preaching through various psalms. And, uh, and so I've chosen Psalm 145 this morning. It's printed in your bulletin, or if you have your Bibles, pull them out, or your devices, or wherever you can read along with me. Uh, I will read the entire psalm. This is Psalm 145. It's a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And our response to the reading is this. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So let's say that you and I run into each other at a local coffee shop. And you can tell that we know each other really well because we can recognize each other right away with our masks on. Now, you've had that moment, right, where you've been in the store and you're like, hey, but it's not Bob. All right. But I know you. You know me because we're friends. And you start to tell me how much you've enjoyed getting to know one of my kids. In fact, I'll pick on, it's one of my sons, Okay. And I'm delighted because you know how that feels as a parent to hear other people share the joy that you have in your own kids, right? So you go on to describe him as a five foot three lacrosse player who loves cooking Italian food and playing the tuba. And so I give you a bit of a funny look. I'm like, 
you must be thinking of somebody else. Like my son, he's pretty tall. He's over six feet, and he loves to eat food, not necessarily cook food. And though he's athletic and has played sports, lacrosse is not one of them. But you continue extolling this short pasta-cooking lacrosse-playing son of mine, saying over and over again, but he's such a great guy. Now, such praise would be meaningless because it would be based on inadequate and inaccurate information, right? However strong your appreciation, I actually think you'd like him more if you really got to know him and discover what he's really like. Now, it can be like that with us and God. He calls us not only to love him, but to love the truth about him. Now, I borrowed that illustration from a book by a songwriter and pastor, Bob Coughlin, as he wrote on the topic of worship. And I think you get the point, right? That the better we know God, the more genuine our worship will be. In fact, the moment we begin to veer from what is true about God, the closer we can get to idolatry. And Psalm 145 provides for us an extremely helpful refocusing of the who and why we worship God. It's a help to us to keep us not just from distant, cold, and disengaged worship of God, but also a reminder of who the truth of God is. It shows us that by focusing on his attributes and his acts, that we find that will be the fuel for authentic, genuine worship. And so it's helpful, I think, to start with a definition of worship, because even as I've said that word already a few times now, some of us may be thinking different things when we hear that word. Some might equate worship uh, to, to singing, right? This, we're going to have some worship time and then some, si- and then some preaching, or, you know. And some might define worship as just the whole service, right? Well, this is a definition I found from theologian and author John Stott that I want us to think on this morning. And he says this as he defines worship. He says, all true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture and arises from our reflection on who he is and what he has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. Now, we all know from experience how easy it is to distort true worship right? We lose perspective and we lose sight of that glorious vision of God and we easily turn our eyes away from that vision and worship something other than God. We worship ourselves. We worship created things or perhaps we have even a small distorted view of God, but God is not small. He's great. And as verse 3 says, and we read this morning, his greatness is unsearchable. No one can fathom his greatness. I mean, not even all the scholars or wisest people, you put them in a room to try and get to the end of how great God is, they will not get there. And it's not that no one can fathom it because the search isn't allowed. No, it's that the search will never reach an end. Thus, that is why, uh, one of the reasons why, we will be able to bless the holy name of God forever and ever and ever. So let's look at what Psalm 145 tells us about this great God, about his attributes, his acts, and let, let's let that be the fuel for our worship, and not just when we gather, not just when we meet together on Sunday morning, but even as we're scattered throughout the week. Now, a few uh, quick words about the psalm before we dig in, just for some context. Um, this is the last of the psalms attributed to David's pen 
in this book, and it's a song that just gushes praise. It's like an outpouring of worship, right? As I was reading it, it was just like every verse, you're probably like, yep, I can memorize that one this Oh, yeah, I can memorize that one this week. I should probably think about that one for a while, right? It's like, like if you've been to the Clinton Lake Dam, the spillway, you know what I'm talking about, where that, that tube of water, just, it's just rushing out. That's this picture I have in this psalm, right? It's just like David is rushing, gushing praise. It's like a river rapids of worship. That's a fitting, fitting summary of the lifetime David had, uh, what he learned about God and experienced with God. It's deeply personal to him, but it's also very public. Not only for the worshiping life of Israel, but for us today. And so Psalm 145 sets up the last five psalms in this book, Psalm 146 through 150, into this great crescendo of praise where the psalms end and praise the Lord. And another interesting characteristic that David uses, and we kind of miss this in our English translations, but this is a psalm that is um, an acrostic. You might be familiar with this, where every verse starts with the next consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And there are other psalms that do this as well. And it's a, it's a cool poetic way, perhaps, to aid in memorization of it, um, but also conveying this message that this song of praise is complete from A to Z, or from Aleph to Tav, for you Hebrew nerds with me out there. So what can we learn from this psalm about the attributes and acts of God that will fuel our worship? And so let's begin with, psalm, uh, or with verses 1 through 3. I will reread those. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. See, two things strike us here at the beginning of the psalm. That, that David, first of all, confesses that God is king. But David was king. But he acknowledged that there is an ultimate king ruling not only over him, but who rules over all of creation. And then secondly, I think we're struck noticing David's passion. That the core of his being, his identity, is one who's a worshiper of God. He lived to worship. He loved to worship. And can the same be said of us, of you? Is your life marked as one who every day blesses the name of God? I get the feeling that, that David is the guy in church who kind of breaks the ice for everyone else, right? He's uninhibited in his worship of God. He doesn't seem to care what others think around him. He's just going to get his praise on, as some people say, right? The, and I get this. There's a scene in Second Samuel 6 when the ark of God was brought into Jerusalem and David was found doing what? He was singing and dancing in the streets because this ark, the symbol of God's power and presence, it had arrived, the Lord was near. He was with them. And that made David to say, hey, I'll be even more undignified than this if it's to worship God my king. We are created to be a worshiping people. It's who we are. And we see that David's declaration in the first three verses, along with that final verse, 21, form a kind of bookend to the psalm. David starts with this declaration, and he also ends with a declaration. He said, my mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord. And he invites everyone to join him. Let all flesh bless his holy name. But why? Why is David so passionate about extolling and blessing and praising God? And I suggest two reasons why. He worships God for who he is and for what he does. You could say for God's attributes and God's acts. So let's look at some of these. What can we learn about who God is? 
He's gracious. He is gracious. Verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God is a giver, always desiring to bless his people. Things as simple as air in our lungs and food on our table that we oftentimes take for granted and don't even think twice about. He's given us the gift of life, of friendships, of love, a church family. The list could go on and on and on. And we were encouraged a few weeks ago, if you remember in Chad's sermon, to list out and share those things that we're thankful for. And what that does is it points us to the graciousness of God. And this most definitely includes the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Verse 8 also says he's merciful. He's merciful. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he withholds his hand and he is slow to anger. And it's certainly true that God is almighty, that he's wise, that he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, but the unexpected thing that should shock us is that he shows us mercy. Why would God be gracious and merciful to those who reject his authority in their lives and oftentimes willfully disobey him? Why? Because that's who God is. That's how he acts towards those who he's in covenant with. He is merciful. And in verse 13, the second part of verse 13, it shows us that he is faithful. It says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. If you read on verse 14, so how is he faithful? He's help, faithful by helping the person who is falling. Verse 15 and 16 says he gives food to all his creatures. Verse 18 and 19, he answers those who pray to him. Verse 20 says he preserves and protects those who are his. God does not give up on us. He is faithful. And everyone who is falling, he upholds. Now, it may not feel like it. You may feel like you've hit the bottom of the pit, but God has still got you. He is still holding you. And he is righteous. Verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. And his righteousness is rooted in his absolute purity. We sang it in our opening hymn this morning, Holy, Holy, Holy. He's incapable of an unholy act. He is the standard of right. And his righteousness is seen in all that he does as well. All of his ways are right. They're never arbitrary. And then we get to verse 20 and we see this first mention of the wicked comes into the picture. He says, The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. And his righteousness is such that he cannot dwell with evil, but he will bring ultimate justice into the world by destroying the wicked. Not because he is a mean God, but because he is holy and righteous. And the promise to us is that the Lord preserves all who love him and that he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And we don't have to fear being destroyed. And so his righteousness, it should be a comfort to us. It should be a comfort to know that every evil, every form of wickedness that we see in the world today will one day be destroyed. In our praise to God in this life, though it's still in a sinful world, there will be a day when our praise will be offered in the presence of a righteous God himself with unveiled faces, which we know in part now, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, but then we shall know fully. And so God is gracious, he's merciful, he's faithful, he's righteous. And we also learn from this psalm that he is good. That he is good. 
Verse 7 says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. In verse 9, The Lord is good to all. And his goodness shows itself in his provision. God has not just created the earth and, and let us all just, you know, have fun figuring it out, guys. No, he is actively participating in upholding it and guiding it. In this last fall semester, the high school youth and I spent this semester doing a study uh, in Sunday school about the providence of God, this doctrine of his providence, and how timely it was to be reminded for a full semester that all things come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. And then the year turned 2020, right? Do we still believe that? Is God still good? Is he still ruling and providentially caring for all he has made? And the answer is yes. Look at how he continues to provide. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. And you satisfy the desire of every living thing. God's hand is still opened to give us not just food to satisfy our bellies, but a satisfaction of our deepest longings and deepest desires. We, We all want to be known, don't we? We all want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be heard. And in Christ, God hears us. God knows us, he loves us, and in Christ he accepts us. Those are those deepest longings that we find in him. And David experienced the salvation of God as he says in verse 19, he says, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and he saves them. And God has saved us. And he, his promise in the Old Testament was that a savior would come, a king, much like David, but different from every other king. He wouldn't look like a king, but he was the king of the universe, become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And so our cries for salvation go to Jesus, who in his sinless life, in his sacrificial death, in his miraculous resurrection, he secures for us salvation from sin and promise of our own resurrection. And so all those who love and fear God, who call upon his name and truth, will cry out to him, believe in him, and belong to his kingdom. All of those are under the gracious, merciful, faithful, righteous rule of this God. And so I want us to take a few moments before we sing again, and I want us to consider who God is and what he has done. I want you to think about what aspect of his character he's impressing upon you in this moment from this psalm that we've read. And take a few moments to praise him, to thank him, and reflect upon that. And then we will sing.
and let's stand together and we'll sing. Faithfulness to generations, faithfulness. 
So, the second part of the sermon this morning is this question. In light of who God is and what he's done, then how are we to respond? What should characterize our worship today? You see, our our public worship is informed by our private worship, and the reverse is true too, right? And so I have three words that are going to help us uh, from this psalm uh, that will show us what should characterize our worship and the first word is meditation what happens in private places meditation the second word is proclamation what happens in public spaces and third is celebration and that is gathered worship so meditation proclamation celebration i'll take up each first meditation 
So we read in verse 5, David says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. The word splendor, majesty, evoke a kind of stop and stare quality to them, don't they? I mean, you can't just drive past the Grand Canyon and look over and say, Hey kids, look, it's the Grand Canyon. What do you guys want for lunch? You know what I mean? Like, you don't do that. If you've ever been there, you know you've got, you've got to stop and peer into it and look and behold and be amazed and be humbled and to realize that our God made this and that he is greater than this. You've got to stop and take it in. And meditation, you could say, would be what we do during the week in our private time of worship as we meet with God privately, however that looks like for you. Not just reading to get through your reading of the Bible, but actually taking time to stop. To put the phone on do not disturb or put it in another room and and to meditate on what you read in God's word. To reflect on his wondrous works. To allow yourself to feel that sense of gratitude and thankfulness and reverence in his presence. And to ask the Holy Spirit to speak through his word. And then that will influence this second response of worship after meditation, which is our proclamation. Verse 6, he says, They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Verse 11, he says, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. In verse 21, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. See, there's a common expression in our house. I don't know if you use this or not, but it's use your words, right? Use your words. No grunts, no gestures, but your words. And this psalm helps us to find our words we can use that are appropriate expressions of praise to God. We use our words to declare out loud the greatness of God, to speak of how awesome he is, and to speak of what he's done and is doing in our lives. And this has echoes from Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or Psalm 51, 15. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Or Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, it's with our words that we worship. And not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. What have your words been like lately? What words have we been using? What things have we been saying? How often do we speak of the glory of God's kingdom to others? How often do we tell others of God's awesome deeds and his greatness? See, I need to hear you say that. And you need to hear me say that. And we worship God when we say that together. Let me also suggest that our kids need us to speak of the mighty acts of of the Lord. Verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. See, I'm guessing you're here today. I'm here, I know, in church preaching on a Sunday morning because the generation above me, my mom, my dad, my Sunday school teachers, my youth leaders, declared to me, commended to me, the goodness and love of God. And God, by his spirit, who's sovereign over salvation, worked in my heart so that I would know him and love him and trust him. And I do have stories of how God has been faithful to me that I can pass on to my kids. You see, the children under your roof, the kids in our 
covenant church community need God to be commended to them, for we must always be putting the marvelous works of God in front of them. The works we know and that we read of in the scripture, but also the work that God is doing in your life today. They need to be hearing it from our lips. And as we do that, we worship God. It's an act of worship as we proclaim him to others and speak of all he's done. And finally, our worship should be characterized by celebration. By celebration, verse 7, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. See, every morning for us, sorry, every Sunday morning for us is a time of celebration. It's a family reunion, if you will. It's a time to gather with other believers where we get to do all of these things that Psalm 145 says to do. To worship God, for he's great, he's righteous, he's merciful, he's kind, he's good to all, he's faithful, he's provider, he's the satisfier of our souls, he's near to us. All of these things in this one psalm that direct our hearts in worship. And his nearness to us, and we forget this, his nearness to us is so close that his spirit lives in us as we are called temples of the Holy Spirit, united to Jesus by faith. And so we need this. We need this time, this weekly celebration to sing together, to remember what is true, to declare God's works as a community. And so as we look ahead to the future, because this has a very futuristic vision in this psalm, as we worship God forever, I know it's hard to think or plan of anything right now beyond next week or even tomorrow, but our picture of a life worshiping God is much bigger than next week or next month or next year. We are created to worship, and we will be blessing the name of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Think on that. Whether we're going to be streaming online, whether we're in a parking lot, or in a field, or in our sanctuary, or in heaven itself, think on that. We will be blessing the name of the Lord forever. See, back in March, when our worship services had to be moved online, and youth ministry and other church events were beginning to get canceled and we couldn't meet together anymore. After getting over the, fin- like the initial frustration of that, right? I thought, wait, there is something we can do. There is something we can do together. We can still worship God together through singing. And so once we got the live streaming technology figured out, right? We did some Wednesday nights of singing where we just worship together and pray together. And sure, we were all spread out, you know, people were on their back decks or porches or kitchens or cars or wherever. But even though there was so much uncertainty back then, and still is for that matter, that doesn't change this reality that we still have a God who is worthy of worship. He is unchangeable. He is certain. And anytime you hear that word this week, uncertain, which has been a lot, I feel like, I want you just to say in your mind, God is certain. Remind yourself, he is constant. Because our world will continue to change. But we belong to God's kingdom. And it's an everlasting kingdom. And we know that because Jesus, our king, is alive. And he's ruling and reigning over all he's made. And so, I pray that, like David, you and I would know God personally. That as he reveals himself to us in his son Jesus and in his word... And if you don't know this God, I want you to consider who he is, his attributes, his acts. I encourage you to call out to him. 
Remember, he is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding in love. And you think, well, how? How do I know this? Well, the extent of his love was shown on the cross. As the perfect son of God was crucified in the place of sinners like you and me. His righteousness, his justice revealed, but also his mercy and his grace put on display. And so God calls us not only to love him, but to love the truth about him. And my prayer is that we would be a people who continue to seek and grow and pursue God on our own as we have times to meditate on his word and read, but also together as we share with one another and proclaim to each other the acts that God is doing. Maybe that's a a good Sunday lunch question, right? Where have you seen God at work lately? And then eventually, as we gather together, each time on Sunday morning to worship and celebrate the unsearchable greatness of our Lord, because he is worthy. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and we are thankful for this psalm to provide for us this reminder of what should fuel our worship, and that is you. And so forgive us for the ways that we have not honored you with our lips, or we've made worship about us or something else rather than you. I thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we can say that we do know you and that we belong to you, and you are worthy of all of our worship. And so I pray that we would be a people who are quick to see you at work around us and then quick to speak of your works. We know that there are times when worshiping you is hard. And with all of the uncertainties of life right now, with jobs perhaps, uh, perhaps with school, sporting and extracurricular activities, politics, health precautions, so many other things are uncertain, but we pray that we would not allow these things to squelch out our worship, but that they would be the things that lead us to pray more and to seek you more and to read your word more so that we would continue building lives on you, our solid foundation. We thank you for your love for us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray all of this. Amen. Please stand as we sing together.
It sets the guilty free That justifies ungodly men It's calls the filthy clean The righteousness that proved to all Your justice has been there And all your wrath is satisfied Through one Even when my heart is breaking, 
Before our benediction, I want to remind you that there are elders available to pray with you this morning. So if you need to be prayed with or for, uh, meet over here to your left alongside the church, and they would be happy to pray for you. It's what God has called them to do, so please take advantage of that. Our benediction this morning is taken from Romans 15, verse 13. So receive this as God's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And let's respond in singing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.